You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. All right, well, tonight, guys, uh, we're going to talk on uh, holiness and grace. And I want to unpack the topic of sanctification. I've been thinking and kind of praying with the Lord of uh, where he wanted me to talk. And uh, particularly with these last weeks, um, I haven't ministered in a couple weeks, but on the codependency and the fear and the boundaries and all of these things, there's been a lot of feedback and just kind of dialogue that I've had with individuals in light of that. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to, you need to take this back to what birthed that in you. Because I think these things and this understanding really didn't come out of like, oh, I feel really smart and I was reading the Bible one day and bang. Um, but it really came out of my experience confronting and being confronted by really the holiness of God. And, and what I would describe as sanctification. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, misconception around the topic of holiness. And so I want, I really want to hopefully clarify that. So as I was in the preparation of this, uh, I had a meeting with a member of our congregation this week. And I'd had a meeting with him about four months prior as well. And uh, he just gave me insight into a really beautiful and profound work of grace that God is accomplishing in his life, a work of sanctifying grace. And I said, hey, I know it's Thursday, but you want to you wanna share this on Sunday? And he said, absolutely. He's like, I, you know, and, and just responded wholeheartedly. And so he's going to come share a raw and brave testimony of a real work of sanctification that God is accomplishing in his heart. So let's uh, honor John as he comes to share a testimony with us. Yeah, so it's been a, a long process, um, as Jordan had mentioned. Uh, it was four months since I saw him, but prior to that, it really was at last year's women's conference, uh, specifically on Sunday night when um, Richard Gordon was talking about uh, his yada moment, his waterfall moment with God, and how like it just changed everything, and how everything that he's done since then has come from this and I just it, it hit a chord so deep within me that I'm like yeah God I want that and so I just started pursuing it praying and really in October um, specifically around day before my anniversary um, as I was just pursuing this holiness with God like I just want what you have it really um I had to, you know, do the hard things, and that started off with, um, sorry, just uh, admitting to my wife I struggled with porn, and not only that, but it had been within our marriage, and I had lied to her, and through before that, just I just felt this barrier with God, and I thought that was it, like legitimately, I thought that was it, and that was not it. That was the root, or not the root. That was the weed that led to a root that was just where all the shame, the fear, uh, the lies, everything, the deep, dark mess that I had so intentionally put behind a facade where God was just like, that's what we're going to go deal with. We're going to go deal with that mess. And it was not a quick process. It was horrifying, terrifying. It, I honestly thought it was going to completely consume me. And through this rawness, this realness of God, I encountered God, for like, almost it felt like for the first time. And then on top of all that, um, I just got to see 
see him put me back together as I was unraveling. And really, there was a death. There was the old man that had to die, and I had to reach it to that point, and I had to let him get to that point. And um, about January, my wife and I, well, we went and got some deliverance, but the work God had done in two then and right then and then thereafter was rebirthing, was renewal, yeah. was redemption, was the Almighty at his finest, where there was pain, it is gone. Where there is shame, it is vanquished. Where there is fear, it is gone. Like freedom, wholeness, everything that I always wanted is here. And now I want the waterfall moment, but I'm so excited about the process. Because that's where God is, is through the process. And really, um, I just want to release that, like that God would just bless you in the process with his presence, with his mightiness, with his holiness, because his glory changes things in an instant. And he brings wholeness and freedom that just can be known no other way than by his touch. Amen. takes a lot of courage. So uh, if, if you uh, were ministered to, I just encourage you even uh, reach out to John, have a conversation. He shared with me for about a half hour this, uh, this week and, and just uh, blessed me, deeply blessed me and a beautiful work of sanctification of God actually coming and changing a heart. And, and I was in Africa years ago with, uh, and I was sitting in, an, in a pretty intimate setting with uh, Roland Baker, who's a leader of uh, a big church movement throughout Africa and the world, and he'd seen the dead raised and many signs and just just amazing miracles. And uh, he began articulating his heart, and I'll never forget it. It pierced me. He said, "The thing that I I believe now more than ever is that the greatest miracle that can ever take place is when a human being's heart gets transformed. It becomes holy, and it falls in love with Jesus." And uh, I've never forgotten those words. And that's the miracle that I want to talk about tonight. And the word that's used in the scriptures is sanctification, which is simply, you know, the process of being made and then actually becoming holy. And uh, there's a lot of misconception around holiness, and it usually is in the realm of holiness is kind of like, you know, (laughs) like you want to just suck the air out of a room, just say holiness. It's like, you know, especially in, uh, in, in American secular culture, it's like, holy what? Um, holiness, right? Holiness is equated to this like morality, legalism is what it, it, it's kind of understood in most church circles. So, uh, you know, and, and I think that that is because the behaviors of holiness are its morality, right? It's, we link that together, purity. Uh, of, of life and regarding to, you know, finances, sexuality, uh, relationships, anything, right? There's, it's, there's morality, drinking, drugs, like we know the right things, we know the wrong things. Holiness is doing the right things and not doing the wrong things, right? And I would really challenge that and I want to go to the heart of holiness tonight because I don't think holiness really has anything to do about behaviors. Behaviors are the consequence of holiness, but they are not what produce holiness. Right. Uh, holiness is produced when a heart gets absolutely ravished by love. 
And there's, a, there's something that takes place in a heart that, that falls so in love with Jesus, this holy bridegroom, that the only thing you, you want to do, like your desires change, yeah. right? Behaviors are derived from desires, from belief systems. God wants to so transform the desires of your heart. He wants to so transform your belief system through this, this work of sanctification that he can do your will. Think about that one. He wants to so transform your mind, your thoughts, your desires, that he can actually do your will. Because your will has become his. It's holy. Right? So God wants to do this deep work of sanctification. He wants to ravish your heart with love. He wants to fall upon you with holy fire in such a way that, yes, purity of life is the consequence, but it's all derived from a deep love, right? a deep affection for Jesus. And, you know, holiness, if it, you know, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? So to, to fulfill the great commandment, which Jesus says is the central, you know, foundation, it's, it's what Christianity rests upon. It's the great commandment. It's to love God, right? To fulfill that, you have to be holy, right? To, to love a pure Jesus, right? To be a bride worthy of him, we have to be holy, because he's holy. And holiness, it starts on the day of salvation, right? And we become a new creation. You guys awake? Come on. All right, it starts on the day of salvation. The old things are passed away. You become a new creation. You become something that never existed before. You become something so holy, so, so supernatural, that we will not even understand who we are till we fully get to heaven and see him face to face. C.S. Lewis says you become something so otherworldly and holy that if you saw each other in our glorified states, we'd be tempted to bow down and worship one another because we are so supernatural formed by the God of the cosmos. God spoke the world into existence, but when he formed you, he was not content to just speak. He bent down and he formed you in the dust by hand. Do you know how much women pay for Louis Vuitton purses? Do you know why? Because they're made by hand, by a designer. You are formed, fashioned by hand, a new creation from the God who who created the world. You're valuable, right? You're this new creation. You're holy. It starts on the day of salvation. But your sanctification ends when you see him face to face. In Jude, It says that to the God who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence, blameless, with great joy. Blameless. Blameless. No shame. No regret. No sin. No imperfection. Nothing but purity and great joy. Blameless. Have you seen the world we live in? Have you seen the state of the church? If we're honest, have we looked within, seen the state of our own hearts, our own relationships, blameless? Wow, that's a promise that God can present you blameless. You can stand before the Holy One. You can can walk 
into the proximity, into the presence of a holy God blameless. That's how much he wants to transform you. This is the deal. I don't think that this reality is reserved for after you die. Because if you have to die to become holy, death is your savior, not Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus died to make you holy. And I think there's probably a realm of transformation that takes place when we see him in the physical, in the natural. But I, I am just haunted in a way of how much can I journey down in this life? How transformed can I actually become? I don't believe there's limitation. I believe God is just waiting for people to say, here I am, I'll go. I'll pay the price. I'll count the cost. I'm going all the way. I want to see how far can I pioneer into your heart and become this new creation? How much can I realize the potential of what you did on the day of my salvation? How far can I go? Right, and the reality is that God, right, the Spirit of God who searches to and fro, He's looking across the earth. His eyes are, are gazing, searching for the heart that will be fully devoted to say, yes, I'll run the race. Here I am. Pick me. I'll go the distance. I'll go beyond where I knew I could go. I'll go on the path that doesn't seem marked. I'll take the road less traveled because I want to be holy. I want to be so ravished by love. I want to be a bride that's worthy of a king. Right? The amount of influence he can trust you with is correlated directly to how far you will journey down the highway to holiness. Right? And I believe, God, there's a, there's a siren going off in America. There's a siren going off in the Western church. And God's saying, it's time to wake up, church. It's, it's time to, to look deep inside yourself and say, am I willing to be holy Too, too many pockets to Christianity. It's all about relevance. Relevance. Making, being attractive to the world. Right? There's just too much mixture. Holiness is attractive, but it does not mix. There's no compromise. Right? And God is looking for a people that will walk this highway of holiness and see what God began on the day of salvation actually come to realization where we are living a life that is blameless. We're living a life that is also marked with great joy. Yeah. Right? So many in the church are depressed. They don't know joy. I would say blameless and great joy. It's the work of sanctification. Yeah. Holiness is fun. We just started a podcast in the first episodes, Hot and Holy. <laughs> Who wants to be hot and holy? Yeah. Come on. Who's single in the room? You better raise your hand. Who wants to be hot and holy? Amen. Bring me a husband, Lord. Bring me a wife, Lord. I'm hot and holy, right? Maybe if you got more holy, you'd be more hot. I, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying, you know. That's not, you know, that's not the Lord. That's me. But I think, uh, I think I'm trustworthy. So, but I probably shouldn't be in that realm. Anyways, keep going. Uh, okay, so there's like three postures of holiness that we got to understand. And I think that if I can articulate each one of these, they'll help you have a grid so that we don't fall into the trap of falling into behavioral modification. Because so many people, they live under this performance thing of like, okay, I, got, I know what, I know what, like holy, I know I, what I shouldn't do, I know what I should do. But the reality is that there's, it's hard, it's hard to navigate. And we have a few different like past tense, future tense, like where am I in this whole holiness thing, right? And so the reality is there's three. There's three different postures I want to talk about. The first one is positional holiness. We have positional sanctification by our salvation, right? So when you get saved, you are positionally holy, 
Right? And what I mean by that is when you get saved, it's like your spirit, the inner man within you gets recreated. That's where this great miracle of this new creation is birthed. Right? And it's like seed form. Right? So it's potential. It's not necessarily actualized, but it's potential. God deposits his spirit within you. You become a new holy creation. You get sanctified. Right? Paul writes his letter to Corinth. It's like a messy, sinful, fornicating, messed up church with a lot of Holy Spirit gifts. <laughs> Sounds like a problem, right? And power, but no purity, and it's just all this gruff. But Paul writes in chapter 1, he says, hey, he's writing, he addresses it to the saints at Corinth who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Right? Like, what? He's like railing them the rest of the letter, <laughs> but they're saints. They're holy, right? And that is because positionally, our identity is unshakable. There is no sin that can, that can alter or impede or, or uh, denigrate your identity in Christ. Right? It's, it's an identity that you received in grace. And what you, receive, what you didn't earn with good works, you can't lose with bad works. Right? So you just, that's just who you are, but it's potential. Right? Watchman Nee has a book on the breaking of the outer man. And he describes a process that when you get saved, there's this inner work of sanctification. Your spirit man, your inner man is a new creation. It's sanctified. But the outer man, the flesh, is like a hard shell around the inner man. And so he talks that it's actually the breaking of the outer man is what, is what precedes the exponential release of life. The spirit of God actually working through a Christian. Right, so there's a lot of Christians, it's like, I'm sure some of you can relate. I got so much promise. I got so much potential. I got so much in me. Oh my gosh, but nothing happens. I'm just stuck. I just keep hitting a wall. Right, it's because you're positionally holy, but you haven't actualized it yet. That potential hasn't been released. Right, and that is because to get from here, positional, to Blameless face-to-face, -face, there is a point. Say point. It's a point of sanctification. Right? And in this point, this moment, this profound, intense experience of sanctification, God actually does a profound work of purification within the heart. Right? And I equate it to like a horse. Right? The, the, the wild horse has to be broken. Right? And when... That horse finally breaks in the stable under the hand of the trainer. It, it loses. Its identity changes, and it's no longer a wild horse. It's, it's now broken. It's a broken horse. Right? You know, you're familiar with that. Right? It's similar also to when a, a, a wood is put in the fire, and it burns, and it becomes ash. The, the, the chemical molecular structure of that wood actually changes. Right? There's something about when we enter this point of sanctification, the fire of God comes upon a human being and we change. There's a profound work of grace. It is a miracle called sanctification where God changes a human heart and is ravished by love, holy love. This, this, this fiery love that's stronger than death, more jealous than the grave. Nothing will quench it. So Isaiah is a prophet. He's a man of God. In Isaiah 6, it's this famous passage. He sees the Lord. 
He has a sanctification experience, a point of sanctification. Right? And the point of sanctification is, is the first big step to, to actualizing the positional sanctification that we have. Right? And, and, he, and he starts in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died... Right? And this is a crisis in his life. King Uzziah was a, has played a significant role in Isaiah's life. He's, he's setting up the chapter to say, in this moment of crisis, he had this, this, this experience with the holiness of God. And sanctification is often marked by crisis. It doesn't have to be like a crazy external crisis, but there's something either inter internal, external, usually a combination of both, that triggers you to a place where, where God, in this, in this searching, in this crisis experience, there's something in you that's crying out for more. In the, king that you, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two covering their face, with two covering their feet, and with two they flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, the prophet, the Christian, the man of God. Then I said, Woe is me, for I'm ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God. And when you see the Holy One, you very deeply become aware of your own depravity. This is the crisis of sanctification. You see the filth of carnality within you. And then in the mercy of God, one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand which he'd taken from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And the prophet is purified by the refining fire of God. Paul, in Galatians, Chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Past tense. He's referring to a distinct moment. Most notably, most arguably, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Why are you persecuting me? agony of his soul, the death he died as he sat three days blind, sitting with nothing but his own shame of how his religious zeal caused him to kill, to protect his own significance. I have been, it's a distinct moment 
I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Fire came and fell on me. I saw the Holy One. Something in me changed. Something in me died and then resurrected. It's a distinct moment that he could point back to. I'm a fifth generation Church of the Nazarene. I come from the holiness movement. And Phineas Brzee is the man who birthed this global movement with millions and millions of people. And this is the encounter. I'm going to read two, two of his own accounts of his process of coming into what I would call this, this second work of grace. Right? I believe there's three distinct works of grace we can see in the scripture. One is salvation. One is a baptism of the Holy Spirit where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are activated. Another one is the, the baptism of fire, the work of sanctification. Right? It's a distinct moment. And sometimes they all can happen together. They, it's another topic. I don't want to, whoops, can of worms. Figure that one out yourselves. <laughs> but this is Phineas in his account of how he came into this sanctification. There came one of those awful snowy, windy nights, such as a blow across the western plains occasionally, with a thermometer 20 degrees, 20 degrees below zero. Not many were out to church that night, and I tried to preach a little, the best I could. I tried to rally the people to the altar, the few that were there, and tried to get somebody to the Lord. I didn't find anyone. I turned to the altar, and in some way it seemed to me that this was my time. And I threw myself down across the altar and began to pray for myself. I'd come to the point where I seemingly could not go on. My religion did not meet my needs. It seemed as though I could not continue to preach with this awful question of doubt on me. And I prayed and cried to the Lord. I was ignorant of my own condition. I did not understand my carnality. I did not understand in reference to the provisions of the atonement. I neither knew what was the matter with me or what would help me. But in my ignorance, the Lord helped me, drew me, and impelled me. And as I cried to him that night, he seemed to open heaven on me. He then begins to describe that the spirit uh, fell on him in a distinct way. And he said, it didn't just take away my tendencies to worldliness, anger, and pride, but it removed the doubt. For the first time, I apprehended that the conditions of doubt were moral instead of intellectual, and that doubt was a part of carnality that could only be removed as the other works of the flesh are removed. This was kind of his precursor. This happened years, this was, and then and, and over the next years, he describes uh, that, that though he became aware of his depravity and aware of the need, there, it would wane. And he had this experience, but then it had kind of tarried, and he'd lost kind of the, the zeal and the passion. And he said, holiness, he was still searching. And a couple years after this encounter where he threw himself on the altar, um, which sounds like was his raindrop experience, to kind of reference what John had said, um, a few years later, this was his waterfall experience. And this is the encounter that birthed the Church of the Nazarene, and I am the fruit of generations later. At this time, there came to me an answer to prayer, a very striking experience. I had been for some time in almost constant prayer and crying to God for something that would meet my needs. 
not clearly realizing what they were or how they could be met. I sat alone in the parsonage in the cool of the evening in the front parlor near the door. The door was opened. I looked up into the cloudless sky in earnest prayer while the shades of evening gathered about. As I waited and waited and continued in prayer, looking up, it seemed to me as if from the cloudless sky there came a meteor, an indescribable ball of condensed light descending rapidly towards me. As I gazed upon it, it was soon within a few feet when it seemed distinct, when I seemed distinctly to hear a voice saying as my face was turned towards it, swallow it, swallow it. And in an instant, it fell upon my lips and face. I attempted to obey the injunction. It seemed to me, however, that I swallowed only a little of it, although it felt like fire on my lips. And the burning sensation did not leave them for several days. While all of this of itself would be nothing, there came with it into my heart and being a transformed condition of life and blessing and unction and glory, which I had never known before. I felt that my need was supplied. I was always very reticent in reference to my own personal experience. I have never gotten over it, and I've said very little relative to this, but there came into my ministry a new element of spiritual life and power. People began to come into the full blessing of salvation. There were more persons converted, and the last year of my ministry in that church was more consecutively successful, being crowned by an almost constant revival. There is a point of sanctification. There is an encounter where by the grace of God, he, he gifts us his holiness. And I heard this years ago by Graham Cook, but there's the command in scripture that says, be holy as I'm holy. And when I read that, and I think when lots of us read it, we read it like this, be holy as I am holy. Right? When every command is a blessing, he's the father of lights who gives without variation or shifting shadow. He's always been and always will be a gift giver. Be holy like I'm holy. Be holy. Let me give you my essence. Let me give you my heart. Let me give you my passion. Let me show you who I am. Right? This point of sanctification, this moment, is when God, in his holy, jealous love, falls upon us. He confronts us with holiness, and he transforms us. I was sanctified in December 2011. I'll never forget the moment the rest of my life. I didn't know what was happening. I truly thought I was dying. I went to a crowded beach in Southern California. I got on my knees. I was in so much agony over the depth of my depravity. So ashamed of who I was. So humiliated by my brokenness and sin. Knelt on my knees, put my face in the sand. I started chewing it. It's the only thing I could do to express in some faint way the depth of how humiliated and humbled I felt and it was as if I was dying there was something in me deep that was dying 
took me years before I even began to articulate and understand, but I emerged from that season, a new creation. What he began in me as a little boy, when I invited Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, actually got realized the outer man broke. And I've now been living in an exponential and ever-growing release of resurrection life through me. Right, And I carry this with me everywhere I go. When you go to places that are that difficult, I can look back and say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When I look at what has cultivated the ability to produce River House and all the other involvements that I've been in, I carry that with me. It was a point of sanctification. It was a moment that by the grace of God, he showed me his love and he, he killed me off so that I could be liberated into who I was created to be. Right? And from the point of sanctification, we then move into what is progressive sanctification, which is the ongoing work of purification that will take place the rest of our lives. Right? The horse breaks, but then it gets trained by the master. And, and there's an ongoing work that I'm not going to preach on tonight. It's a, it's a whole other message. You know, but what changed in me at the point of sanctification was that the desires of my heart were transformed. Where I used to have vices, the vices broke. And I became very, very, very keenly aware of the flesh. Right? Ignorance was no longer bliss. I just started rolling up to the same old situations with the same old good intentions, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, selfish, fear-based. Right? I saw. Right? And what happens at this moment of sanctification is that the battle changes from inside of you, because God actually does the work inside of you, and the battle gets pushed now external of you. So the work of progressive sanctification, it's actually strengthening. You start recognizing, oh, okay, now it's this, it's actually a journey of overcoming. And I'm going to go this maybe another time. But, and that's how you just, you know, more and more and more and more and more, holy, 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 more and more blameless. Right? But it's still all birthed out of a moment of grace. Right? And the reason that I stress this, that holiness and grace have to be married in our lives, in our church, if we are to fully run the race that God has set before us as a people in Boise, Idaho called River House. Uh, and this is why. Right? God is already thinking generationally. Right? God knew that I would come out of this encounter. Right? Who's going to come out of yours? Right? God's God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua. He, he started this here not just because it's this cool movement with this young pastor, <laughs> this super good preacher. Now that doesn't, he doesn't care about that. He's seeing generationally, right? But the only way that a generational movement can continue is if generation after generation is not discipled into the form 
of what the encounter in the holiness produces, but actually discipled into the sacred holy place for themselves. Right? Because I'm a fifth generation holiness kid, and no one ever told me. No one ever told me this was my heritage. No one ever told me that holiness was birthed from an encounter with the grace of God. I learned the form, but there was no power. And so the, this caution, I just feel this burden from the Lord, this weight that even within us as River House, as we've grown and it's amazing and it's prophetic and people get wrecked and yada, yada, yada. We hear all the good things. We love coming into the blessing of God in this house. But I feel this burden where I know that this house was birthed from there. It was birthed from me with my face in the dirt. So, so broken by my depravity. And I don't want to produce now and have this movement with all this amazing things and not disciple you to go to the same place for yourselves. Because it's not just for you, but we're 700 now. What, what when we're 1,500? What about when we're, you know, X, whatever? What about when we're planting churches? We can't just be a culture that, that talks about all the good things that come out of this. We have to be a people that go there themselves so that the, the kids that are across the hall, 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, you know, they're, they're discipled to know the presence. They're discipled to know the Holy One. They're holy in heart, not just holy in behavior. Yeah. Right, So that five generations from now when there's people that can trace their spiritual heritage to what you and I are cultivating. They don't have to read about with a sad heart that I, I never knew. I never knew that it was about grace. I thought it was about my religious performance. I don't want that. I want them to be generation after generation after generation after generation that's holy unto the Lord because they know him. Which means that you and I must go here first. Because we can't lead people to places we have not traversed ourselves. We cannot take people into depths of God that we haven't first explored. We won't know the directions. But once you've gone there, it's very easy. People will follow you to that place. And I just feel like God, the grace of God is stirring and inviting and drawing us into true holiness. That we be a holy people because it's holiness that will sustain the move of God. Right? The flesh will corrupt and pervert and turn it to self and create idols. It's a holy people that can steward influence and favor and blessing and goodness and exaltation in a way without ever lifting our head in pride because that point of sanctification breaks the wildness. And it's like something breaks that can never get exalted again. Right? And, and if that, if it's this place, if it's this miracle of sanctification is evident within our body. We won't pass on. You, 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 can't, you can't become perverted and swayed by this, almost the seductive nature of this pharisaical religious performance Christianity that tries to allure us to a place where we feel 
powerful and in control. And I'm holy and I pray and read my Bible and pay my tithes and right and, and it, it feeds the flesh. Right? If it was all birth from grace, holiness is birth from grace. It wrecks us all and it keeps us all the same because none of us are worthy. None of us deserved it. None of us were holy. None of us chose him. We were all rebels. We were dead in our sin. We turned our face to him. We turned our back, left him away, rejected him, cold-blooded rejected him, said, I do not want you. I will be my own God. But God, being rich in mercy, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised you up and seated you with him in heavenly places so that for the ages to come, he can make known to you the endless riches of his grace. It's grace. That's the heart of holiness. It's an encounter with grace that you don't deserve, that changes you from the inside out and empowers you to walk the highway of holiness, to approach the Holy One, to be touched with a coal from that altar and be made new. Luke 11, Jesus gives a small discourse on prayer. He ends the discourse by saying, if you who are evil can give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He began that discourse by saying, to anyone who asks, receives. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. To him who seeks, he'll find. And it sounds good when he says that, but oftentimes there's a lot of discouraged and disappointed Christians in their prayer life. I knocked, the door didn't open. I asked, and I didn't hear an answer. I've sought, but I have not found. But if you parse that out, you look at the Greek, what Jesus was saying that day is more an accurate rendering would be to him who asks and keep asking, to him who knocks and keeps knocking, to him who seeks and keeps seeking, you will find. And I believe that this point of sanctification, it's where God's relentless pursuit of us collides with our wholehearted pursuit of him. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And when we give this wholehearted yes, we will come into the place where we collide with his wholehearted yes. And he will deposit, he will bestow upon us, he will reveal his holiness. We will see the Lord high and lifted up. It'll be a crisis of the filth that we behold. But in that dying, like what John shared, we will encounter Jesus 
and there will be an exponential release of everything that was created by him. When God saw you as a dream of his heart and knit you together for such a time as this, I feel his heart is just inviting you tonight. Some of you, you feel it. He's just tugging you. He's drawing you. Come. Come to the altar. Sanctify me, your heart. Something in you is yearning. There's a deeper work of grace. Your religion is not meeting your needs. That is a wonderful and terrible realization to come to. But God will not leave you in this place. And so I'm going to have the band come up and play. And, uh, I'm just going to create a space for you to respond and, and use this as an altar. It's nothing special, but altars don't need to be. And I don't want this to be hype. This is a, uh, a cold-blooded altar call because it's going to kill you. So do it at your own risk. But respond to what's in your heart. And if you want to present yourself, say, here I am. Make me holy. Take a coal from that altar tonight. God, touch my lips. Just respond. We're just going to let service be a soft close now, so you're welcome to leave whenever you desire. But this is a space for you to come before your God. Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy of it all, Lord. ourselves on the altar tonight, God. Fear and trembling, Lord, we put ourselves on the altar and say, Jesus, Atone for the generational sin that I inherited. A 
atone for the depravity of my carnality. Forgive my sins. Descend with holy fire, God. Holy fire, God. Crucify it, God. Crucify it, God. Crucify it, God. We do not want it. We don't want it anymore. Put the old man to death, God. We don't want it. Its promises are false. Its pursuits are empty. Its manipulation creates nothing but chaos. Just put it to death, God. shame. Sever it. Just sever it tonight, God. And Lord, whether tonight is the waterfall or it's a raindrop, fill us with perseverance. Put a conviction within us that we embrace this process. We choose to walk the highway of holiness all the days of our lives. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.